Hi, and welcome to the Wine Goblins. I can't do this. Aaron, you got to start us off today. Hey, folks. Welcome to the Wine Goblins, a podcast. Where's your pimpon filter? <laughs> what are we supposed to say? What's our mission statement again? It's in the notes. Yes, this is the Wine Goblins, which is three, <laughs> three best friends talking about wine. As, as we've already heard, we can't keep it straight for five seconds, but Aaron's here and Danny's here, and we're going to be talking about uh, buying a winery today. But Danny, do you want to get us started in our first segment? Yes, our first segment is Corrections Corner, what we mess up last week. Uh, we're going to start off with some geography lessons, and uh, it's JR who made all these mistakes, so go ahead. Yeah, I'm on the hook this week, but it's actually a short correction corner. Rioja is actually from the Basque Country. That's from our last episode, and Tom Myers is from New Zealand, not Australia. And we had a couple of weird pronunciations. Irancy is how you pronounce that region of France, and Langhi Nebula is how you pronounce that. And Danny would also like to note that anything she said weird is just part of her charm. Yeah, sorry, I'm just bad at pronouncing everything in every language, so... We are not linguists. Correct. We are wine enthusiasts. Yeah, and most of the time we just point to a menu and say, we'll take that. So we're good at finding the wine. We're not necessarily great at talking about it uh, in correct terminology, but we'll help you get there. Our wine news of... In Danny's case, she just points at any animal and says, I'll just take this into my house. Like a turtle she found the other day. (laughs) Would you like to share with the audience the turtle's name? Would you first like to share your baby's name? Uh, The six-month-old who might have just appeared uh, in the audio track of this with a nice cry as she woke up from a nap is named Tegan. So he has Tegan the baby, and then I I have Tegan the turtle. (laughs) And Danny's husband allegedly has written a song about, I think, the turtle only, but I'm hoping it's about both Tegans. So we're supposed to be able to hear the song at the next family gathering, which uh, we'll FaceTime Aaron for. Is it a rap? No, but it will be stuck in your head forever. Okay, so who's going to reproduce it? Rick Rubin? (laughs) So, moving on. (laughs) Should we move on to the next segment, which is Wine News of the Week? Let's do it. Yeah, let's kick off the big news of the week, which has really been the news of the year. Uh, Major brands have started just snatching up wineries. And Danny and I are both located in California. so. This news is a bit centric towards California, but it's based off Treasury, which is based in Australia, buying Dow Winery, which is in Paso Robos. Dow is probably one of the most famous wineries in Paso. It has a picturesque location at the top of a hill that looks out over the valley. And it's really a a beautiful place. They also had an article written about them that was like a must see or must visit. And that really brought them a lot of visitors. So Treasury decided to spend $900 million on Dow, plus an additional $100 million off of add-ins that could be met by 2027, depending on how Dow sells over the next, I guess that's four years. Wow. Aaron, when you saw this figure, what was your initial reaction? Well, kind of similar to Victor Wimbanyama seeing Madison Square Garden for the first time, I thought to myself, it's not that big. I mean, honestly, what? nowadays you see, I mean, it's a lot of money, but there any sort of any sort of figure these days, it's just, you know, it was what's a whether it's a um, 
team valuation and the billions, any sort of acquisition, I've just become numb, similar to Lincoln Park, about just any sort of acquisition number. So these all just kind of become white noise. It's obviously a lot of money. But frankly, you know, there's a lot of folks who uh, think it's worth it. So good for them, I guess. I have a question. Is Dow's only tasting location in Paso? Yes. Uh, Their their only location is Paso. Yeah, that's like a lot of money, considering that's their only tasting location. That's probably my favorite tasting location to taste with you two. For now. For now. Yeah. So the the $900 million figure is crazy, but Treasury cited that Dow is known as the fastest growing luxury wine brand in the United States. I think that would be a point of contention for a lot of different wine brands, because I'm not entirely sure how they're getting that figure or that statement, but it kind of just feels hyperbolic to describe a winery that you just spent nearly a billion dollars buying. Tim Ford, the CEO of Treasury Wine, said, it's right in the sweet spot. We're moving to where the consumer is going in reference to the price point of wines from Dow. This kind of goes back to last week, if you haven't listened to that episode, but we talked about the economics of wine and how the consumer purchase is trending a bit higher. So Treasury identified Dow as a winery that makes wines in a premium market that could kind of appeal to a elevated audience that wants the $30 bottle as well as the $125 bottle. Aaron, how do you feel about this trend where uh, Treasury and Gallo have started snatching up premier brands and they're consolidating some of these wineries into under their umbrella? Honestly, it makes sense because if you compare wine to, say, liquor, for example, if I go into a liquor store and I'm in the market for whiskey, I can buy Glenn Levitt for, and I know more or less what I'm getting. And if I bring it to a party or have it in my liquor cabinet, my friends and family also have a sense of what they're getting. Whereas if I go to some niche you know, winery and buy a really nice bottle of wine that no one's ever heard of uh, that makes only a couple hundred cases per year, to me, that's something really cool and, you know, a luxurious sort of spend, something that I really enjoy, but to other folks, they don't have the context of what that wine is. So I think what uh, Treasury is doing with uh, the Dow brand is they're trying to take advantage of the fact that folks kind of know what Dow is to an extent. It's a label that people recognize. It's something that if you go to a restaurant and there's you know dozens, if not hundreds of bottles to choose from, you're like, oh, I know what this wine is. It's good. Let's go for it. It's kind of makes brings uh, simplicity to the wine world, which there are thousands and thousands of winemakers and wine labels. So it makes sense. It kind of uh, that is kind of where things are going. And as these big conglomerates snatch up uh, wineries, um, hopefully that kind of creates room for other small ones to kind of I don't know, pop up. I might be optimistic, but I don't know. It kind yeah, of seems that's like that's the way the world's going. How, definitely how capitalism works, right there, Danny. If I said. What's a luxury wine brand that would impress you? Would would you have a name of a winery or a vineyard that would jump off like out of your head? And I do this to Danny because like we're kind of as goblins. I'm the fake expert. Aaron's the affordable connoisseur who knows like the best labels under a certain price range and he has a wide range of taste. And Danny's kind of the novice that we're helping along. So I'm just asking Danny. What would impress her if she saw someone bring to like a dinner party or a company party that that could show up that would jump that she'd be interested to try? Barefoot Wines Oreo flavored wine, for sure. Yeah, it goes for about $300 a bottle now. So, but joking aside, speaking of which, Barefoot is owned by, is it Gallo? Gallo? 
It's Gallo. There you go. Uh, Dom, Dom Perignon. I feel like that's a very common luxury champagne. Would, would Camus do anything for you? Means nothing. Prisoner. Yes, I know that one. So, so I think that's what these brands are going after. They're trying to infiltrate a market where Danny can recognize the name and she can be impressed by the quality they're bringing to the table. And I think one of the issues that it's presenting is when you flush in so much money to like a region like Paso and Gallo bought dinner, which used to be one of my favorite wineries in the Paso region, but it's definitely taking a different turn now. And now Treasury has Dow. There's going to be a lot more competition for those vineyards and for those grapes. And it's just, it does tend to push out the little guy. And Danny, Aaron, and I went to a wine tasting at Giornata, which is an Italian winery in Tin City. I thought we all had a great time there. Is that the one with the skin contact wine we tried? Yes, I thought you didn't like that word. I don't, but it's an appropriate (laughs) word. That was delicious, yeah. Skin contact's just fine. You just have to use protection. So what happened to that winery, JR? Dow ripped out many no. of the great varieties that they use to make their wines. And so they're one of the casualties, in a sense, of what's going to happen when a ton of cash is available to these wineries. They have to produce more wine and they're going to either push people out of the way to get more grapes or they're going to cut corners. And I think if you're trying to make a luxury brand, cutting corners doesn't really work. So they're going to have to put their elbows out there and buy more grapes and kind of rip out some of the fun varieties in Paso that you may not have experienced in the past and probably won't have the opportunity to experience in the future. Damn Very shame. sad. Yeah, it's also the opposite of what Aaron was hoping would happen. Yeah, I'm just an optimist, yeah. you guys. But in Aaron's optimistic view, there are other regions. Paso is not the only place to grow grapes. And I think this would be a good time to talk about the goblins trying to buy a winery. Let's do it. I'm in. Shout out where- Matt Damon. We're going to buy a winery. Where should we buy a winery? Well. We need to be close to an NBA team. So Why? I think that's fair. Why? Why? Yeah. So we can go to courtside. I don't understand. <laughs> Pop bottles courtside. So I think, and personally, I like football at 10 a.m. So we should stay on the West Coast. Is that everyone agree in agreement? Love this so far. I don't want to watch a game at midnight. It's too late. So I think perhaps kind of split the difference. It's not totally fair, but perhaps we could move to the Willamette Valley outside of Portland, Oregon. JR is kind of a basic B for uh, Burgundy styles, and that's where they that's where they have a really great food scene in Portland, close to my family. Frankly, you know, we can have you guys make a fresh start with your families. <laughs> I, I love this idea, except for the still joke to my family who might be listening to this. So uh, I love you all, and we wouldn't do this out of spite for you. We do this because it's an economic opportunity for us. Yeah, yeah. Don't take it personally, Randy. You can also just take a quick flight. So that's my vote. Uh, I'm willing to hear other uh, ideas, though. How does that sound to you, Danny? I'm in. I'm just going along for the ride. They have great volcanic soil, really well draining. How do the grapes handle so much water? Great, great question, Danny. So the most of the Oregon wine country in the Willamette Valley is in a mini rain shadow. Uh, there's like a what? small coastal uh, range. Yeah, just southwest of Portland. So there still gets a lot more rain than, say, California, for example, but it's not so much. And there's also a good amount of wind. And uh, like I said, the really well-draining volcanic soils really help decrease the chance of like rot and disease and fungus. So it is pretty uh, it is pretty interesting because usually don't think of, you know, Western Oregon, the Pacific Northwest is a great wine country. But that kind of microclimate right there is just perfect for Pinot Noir as well as a bunch of other varietals. 
like Chardonnay, for example, and Pinot Gris. That was the most impressive answer we've had on Wine Goblins through three episodes. So shout out to Aaron for that. That was just off the top of his noggin. That was really impressive. Rocks for jocks. Shout out geology. We were inspired by the recent book, Climbing the Vines in Burgundy by Alex Gamble, who kind of took this. I think we're joking about it, but he took this joke and he lived it. He's an American who was working for his family business decided to take a sabbatical for a year, moved his family to France, ended up working for Becky Becky Wasserman, who's probably one of the most famous importers of wine. After living there for a while, he just decided to stay. He worked for as a negotiant, which meant he was buying grapes from vineyards. And then after a few years, he bought his own land, thanks to the connections he had made through his children and schools. Uh, his book called Climbing the Vines in Burgundy is out on Amazon and other outlets now. So it's worth checking out. It's definitely if you're inspired to buy your own vineyard slash winery, it's definitely something. But I think the thing that I took away from his comments was that, and this might relate back to Dow and some of those other wineries. He basically said for the first 12 years he was working, he wasn't making any money. And it's because you have to build a brand. And I think like this goes for pretty much any business, but This is probably why established wineries like Dow are so appealing to those major corporations because they've already established a footprint and they've already established a distribution where if you're trying to start from the ground, you have to make so many inroads. So if you want to dream, don't think you're going to make money off wine, especially not for the first decade, unless you're going to spend $900 million uh, to purchase an already big name. That's true. JR, you mentioned buying a book off Amazon, which obviously is a great selection. Would you also recommend checking out your local bookstore? I would recommend that. I think some of these wine books are a little more obscure, so they're kind of hard to find in your local bookstore. But you could definitely ask the employee store owner to look up the book for you and perhaps purchase it for you. As we talked about last week, Danny is a great flirt with uh, employees and store owners. So she knows how to get what she wants when she walks into a store. She's an extrovert. I'm the opposite. So I think we agreed we probably can't go 12 years with no profit, so we cannot buy a winery, unfortunately. We we probably can't do it currently, but in 10 years time, after Aaron and I have worked for Harvest and Champagne and Burgundy, then I think we will be in a place where we can buy a winery. I think we will. All right. I'll reach out to you in a couple years. Danny, you want to take us to the next segment? Yes. The next segment is where we, usually JR picks a restaurant that he chose specifically for their wine list and we pretend that we get to go there and we each choose a wine and discuss why we chose that wine. The subtle theme of this week's episode has been Italian wine and our restaurant this week is Popina in New York City. It's a Italian cuisine that opened in 2017. This was actually my second pick for which uh, restaurant I wanted to do. But the first pick, I couldn't find their wine list online. So I'm going to store it in my back pocket for a future episode in case they do drop it. But subtle hint for anyone out there. It's a famous Rome restaurant that recently moved to New York City that has an incredible wine list. But we're only trying to pick restaurants that have an easily accessible wine list so you can play the game along with us. And now, Aaron, who loves to ask the question, let's talk about the food. Right. Wait, did we say the restaurant name? What is the restaurant? It's Popina. In New York. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I kind of want to get ahead of uh, Correction Corner real quick, guys. It looks like it's in Brooklyn. So usually if you say New York City, it usually implies Manhattan, but this is in Brooklyn. So I just want to... Geography King right here. Yeah, they call me a Geography King. I truly am the... Well, that Explorer is kind of canceled. So anyway, I'm an old Italian 
explorer. Yeah, so let's talk about the food we're going to be ordering. JR, you usually like to overorder for the table. What what are you going to be ordering for us first? Let's talk. Let's kind of set the set the stage. Is it a is it a warm summer night? Is it a cold winter night? Tell, tell me about you it. You and your weather. So my ideal scenario here is Aaron and I are just out for a guy's night. Guys, night. and we're going to the improv show, and we call up Danny, and we're like, Danny, come come join us. And then all of a sudden, it's the three of us sitting down, and we just say, Let's do it. Let's do the chef's tasty menu. So we're basically just giving it to the chef and letting him take us on this journey. The chef's tasty menus online. You can you can check it out. You have some options for the first, second, third, and fourth courses. Basically, you're going to go with some sort of appetizer, then a pasta dish, then your entree, then I'll be ordering the chocolate chest pie for dessert and just absolutely killing my taste buds with all that sugar. But it's worth the journey. Talk dirty to me. Mm-hmm. All Give right. me some of that uh, hot chicken milanese, please. Thank you. So I I can just also imagine us at this dinner. Like, we're stuffed. It's 9 p.m. You're like, Aaron, I cannot believe it's three more hours till our comedy show that you booked us for starts. <laughs> Um, that's just me in New York, baby. Say it never sleeps, they call it. Um, all right. So Aaron let's... in New York and Aaron in Disneyland are roughly similar. Time doesn't matter. It does not matter. We're really getting it done. Not matter. Nothing matters. All right. So what I'm going to do is I am looking at the Brovia Barolo from 2019. Ooh. It's a little more, pardon me. It's a little more expensive than what I usually like to pick. It is $99, but when in Brooklyn, uh, as the Romans say, now it is a twenty. Now, Danny, as you know, Brolos, you really want to usually wait a couple decades to open these bad boys up. That's kind of the. Is style. it a white or a red? It is a great, great question. It is a red wine. Uh, it's from the Piedmont region of northwestern Italy. It's kind of Jr.'s uh, muse, so to speak. So I really want to kind of appease to him and please him because let's be honest, if him and I are in New York, I'm probably trying to get lucky. So with um, your wife? No, no. <laughs> Love is love, 2023. So it is a Barolo. Uh, and then Danny, as you know, usually these really need to age a couple decades. However, I'm guessing since they put it on this list, they know what they're doing. At 2019, it's still very young for a Barolo. We're going to let that bad boy decant as soon as possible. Really let it open up and breathe. And I'm hoping it's just going to really complement um, our tasting menu uh, start to finish. So... This really would be the perfect place to order multiple bottles. Because if you're picking a Barolo, yeah. let that sit for a while while you open something else. And hopefully Danny's going to make that selection for what we're going to open first. Yeah. So I chose a wine. I chose the Bartoli Grappoli del Grio in 2021. It's under white. It is $80. Mm. And, you know, the last two episodes, we've been drinking white wine. And I've really grown to enjoy white wine. Danny threw me. I had no idea this pick was coming. I, I need to learn some more about this wine. Is there anything you could tell us about it? I picked it because I think I can confidently somewhat pronounce it correctly. Okay. The Griolo is similar to Pinot Grigio, fuller and funkier. That does sound like something you enjoy, actually. Yeah, it goes really? well with vegetable dishes. Oh, and and I'm, veg- I'm vegetarian. It's perfect. Excellent pick. Wow. <laughs> really came out of left field, too. My selection was going to be the Burroto Lange Mores. And that is an interesting wine because it's the only Burloto that's a blend. It's actually a blend of Barbera and Nebbiolo. Burloto is one of the famer, famous wineries in uh, the Piedmont region. And it's on the wine list for 90, which means this is the first and probably the only week I would pick in a cheaper wine than Aaron. So I will fix that uh, for the next episode. Thank you. 
Danny, I think it's time. What is our hot take of the week? Uh, so I have a story for you. And that story is going to start with a hot take of the week that Aaron and JR don't actually know that I'm giving because they didn't want me to. So the hot take of the week, I think, is that you have to taste and hear me out. This might change the more I get to know wine, but I think you have to taste bad wine to fully appreciate good wine. Is that crazy? I don't know. Maybe they didn't want me to share it and I'm sharing my hot take. So there was one time about five years ago and five years ago, I didn't drink wine, but I really, really wanted a glass of wine. So I went to Trader Joe's and I picked, <laughs> I picked a glass, I picked a bottle. It was maybe $6 <laughs> and it, it had cherry blossoms on it. It looked pretty. I know nothing about this wine. It had a screw top and I poured that glass of wine. I tried it and it tasted like a Sharpie. It was disgusting. I dumped the whole thing out and didn't try wine again for years. But now trying this good wine that JR has chosen and Aaron has chosen and they both love and I, it like makes me appreciate it so much more because it doesn't make me immediately want to throw up. And that's, that's my a really story. Trade about wine, not yeah. wanting to immediately throw up. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> Well, um, I, I, for Jar and I, I just want to say thank you for being vulnerable. <laughs> thank you for sharing that story, Danny. I'm not sure there's a hot take there. Like, my, I, well, I, okay, my hot take is probably that I really do want to try that barefoot Oreo wine. Okay, that, that's, really, that's really expensive and nice. Three hundred dollars. Well, you see, when it went on sale, it was originally like thirteen dollars or something, oh, and I no. tried to buy it, and it sold out within like ten minutes. And so now everybody's reselling it for super expensive. And I'm like, do I really want to spend that much money on something that's mostly like a so curiosity? This is like, this is like the Princess Diana beanie baby right after she, she passed away. You just want to wait wait a couple of decades and those will be just $4 on eBay. Incredible I have a feeling reference. this won't age well. Incredible reference. Oh okay. Well, so Danny, I of course did not know you in college. I knew JR in college. It's how we met. So, but I know you went to a state school. Did you never slap the bag? What does that mean? So this is something, again, that happened probably mostly at state schools. I don't think it was, eh, it might have been happening at like Harvard. But you basically take a bag of like Franzia Chardonnay, it's like a box, but you take the plastic bag out of the box and you would slap the bag and then someone would pour very cheap uh, headache-inducing white wine into your mouth. And I'm realizing this is just a me thing now that, with you guys looking at me. No, no, no. Sorry. It is. It's oh. an everyone thing. Okay. I, okay. W- I was making a, a comparison in my mind to how Danny could do this uh, at Christmas because yeah. Danny's grandmother likes to drink boxed wine. And I oh. do think I could talk her into playing <laughs> the game of slap the bag. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. So, Danny, what do you think? That's actually a really good way to start experiencing bad wine again. And the headache will then also make you really appreciate higher quality wine. I'm going to pass, but I'll happily video JR doing it and post it on our Instagram. Okay. We can do that. Our problem around Christmas is Danny tends to drink too much one day. And after like two glasses, she doesn't know how to say no to when she's offered bad wine. And so she'll end up drinking like the leftover bottles that other people have left on the property. And it's just not great for us. And then the next day she won't drink with me. So then I get lonely and I'm just sitting there drinking by myself in the corner, listening to other people talk about things I don't care about. And I don't have anyone to cheers with. 
So this year I might have my wife to drink with me because she's not pregnant this year. So at least I should have some companionship, but we do need a driver to get off the hill. Huh. That should be tricky. I'm sure there's Ubers in very rural Northern California. Just... Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Okay. Well, again, thank you to Aaron for being vulnerable. <laughs> thank you to Danny for being vulnerable. No, I appreciate it. You're right. It's going to have a comparison, something this to kind of start with to realize, oh, this is actually really good, especially the way it kind of makes you feel, whether it's, you know, the morning after or just, you know, the evening of, um, for example, my mother, she thought she couldn't drink wine at all. It turns out she just can't drink really cheap wine. So she's been trying a little bit higher quality, you know, French and Italian wines, American, of course, you know, nothing crazy, but, you know, 15 to $30 bottles. Uh, she just sips on them for about a week and she mostly really enjoys them. And she doesn't get kind of that fleshness, that rosacea, that effect that a lot of people get when drinking lower quality wines, whether it's from sulfites or just, you know, poor grapes or whatever. So, yeah. I honestly can't remember the last time I had like a bad ball of wine willingly. Like just trying to remember what my comparison would be for the last time I had something that would like, I wouldn't say it was good. I had an oxidized wine like mm. earlier this year. What does that I mean? It's it's basically when wine kind of turns to like the, the vinegar taste. Like this almost tastes like apple cider vinegar. It was a natural wine. So like there are flaws in those wines that happen because like there's no sulfur in them there there's no way for filtering and filtration so like things sneak in there and like you'll maybe get more likely to have an oxidized wine or something to go wrong there it wasn't good Would and you it just got that? sorry jared to cut you off go ahead it just got drain poured i don't really want to name the producer because yeah. i think it was a one-off bottle i did have a another wine from that producer and it was delicious elegant and really lovely but i just can't remember last time i picked up like a six dollar bottle of wine and was like wow why am i doing this to myself i buy the oreo wine will you drink it with me i'll have half a glass but i'm gonna be honest i did read some reviews on it and i'm already scared of what it'll do to my body well you don't want to drink it too you want to put your cellar i'm sure that's just made to age for years and years Also, Danny, I do want to say one thing before we move on. So you mentioned a twist off. Now, in general, like you're not going to have like a 30 year old, you know, Barola with a twist off. However, isn't always necessarily a sign of bad quality. For example, I believe and correct me if I'm wrong. And actually, we can talk about next week if I'm wrong. In Corrections Corner, I believe the uh, Marlboro region of New Zealand, they only do twist off. And it's for kind of, you know, econo- not economic, but uh, climate reasons, right? It's it's less waste, I believe. So that's just kind of what they do for more sustainability. And they make some of the best Sauvignon Blanc in the world. So um, I just want to point Where'd that out. Where did you say that was? New Zealand? New Zealand, yeah. The Marlboro region. It's at the north end of the South Island. Okay, so we can, interesting. we can maybe do an episode on that. Uh, yeah. I mean, corks are horribly wasteful and they're not even that effective or efficient in terms of like storing a ball of wine. So like a, a screw top actually makes more sense. But because of historically we've used corks, they're looked at in more esteemed ways and they're more prestigious now. So it's like there's a reason why it's called corked. Like the cork can impart flavors on wine. So it's like it does have a chance that it could fault your wine, which seems kind of crazy. But yeah, like. A screw top doesn't necessarily mean that wine's bad. And I think some German regions also prefer screw tops too. So I do think there are, Aaron's definitely right, but like there, I think there are other regions too that prefer screw top. Very interesting. I had no idea. I always thought screw top meant Jeep. It definitely can. But uh, and on the same note, before we move on, another just kind of hot tip. If you ever go on, say, a weekend getaway, you bring a bottle or two, uh, whether it's from your cellar or 
you just get the grocery store. Always get it if you're in a hotel or a bed and breakfast or Airbnb. I always get a twist off because unless you brought your own wine opener, you'd be surprised at how many places do not have one. So, you know, be. I, I did not have one until JR recently bought me one. God bless you, JR. You're a sex. I like buying Still one where I travel it, but... too. I think it's like a nice little memento, but like they are really hard to find. So you kind of have to like find a wine shop even to buy like a key fob wine opener. So. It, Aaron's right. Like, look for the screw tops because it makes your life easier. Yeah. Memento, not just a Christopher Nolan film. All right. Should we move on to our what we're drinking this week? I think we should. Okay. Yeah. Jared, I'm going to pour myself another glass. So why don't you introduce it? Okay. This is La Lu Barbera de Alba 2019. They're two females uh, winemakers. They've been friends for, I think, nearly two decades now. They've made wine all over the world. They went to a winemaking school in Italy. Then they kind of branched out on their own, found some other places to make wine, including the Southern Hemisphere, came back, made wine in France. And then they started making wine for a famous producer in the Piedmont region. After I think it was a year or two, they were given the opportunity to buy some land for the two of them. I believe they only have three and a half hectares of land. So they don't have many vines or grapes and they only make three wines i believe this barbara de alba which we're drinking tonight they definitely have a barolo and i think they have a nebbiolo so this actually i won't impart my opinion on this danny how do you feel about this wine she's thinking we're all thinking it's good i do see how it would be really good with like meat (laughs) it's very deep i almost get cherry notes maybe i'm crazy Mm -hmm. not crazy not crazy at all. <laughs> I, I think it definitely needs food. I think it's super young. I, I, I don't think it's close to its potential. I kind of wish we would have left it in the cellar longer, but we weren't going to postpone this episode for years. So it's nice to check in on. One of the things I read about these producers is they're very gentle in how they make their wine. There, there's no uh, crushing. It's just uh, pump overs for when, when they're fermenting the wine. Which What is a pump over versus a crush that like foreplay for the grapes it's like foreplay that's lubricated the 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 pump over adds liquid on top to kind of bring down the grapes instead of standing on top of the grapes and pushing them down what is a pump over (laughs) explain it to me like i'm five okay so there's there's a tank and there's grapes inside the tank and this is the fermentation process which i believe like the barrel that it's aged in or something else so this is the stainless steel tank that they put the grapes in as soon as they bring it in from the vineyard. And okay. so like after the grapes have been sorted, they're then dumped into a tank. So they get all the debris out and everything else. I think these are, I think these still have stems on them because there is some tannic in them. Yeah. Um, so, so then the grapes are put in there and then they're crushed slightly. And then to add more weight to it, they pump that juice that has just came off the bottom of it back on top of it to increase the weight on top. And they let that like gravity situation pump down and continue that flow. So instead of standing on top and like putting a press on top and pushing down and extracting all of the juice at once, they're doing a slower process, a slower fermentation to get the juice out of the grapes. JR, is this uh, similar to carbonic maceration that they do? It is similar to that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it does have some natural characteristics, but it's not completely the same as that. Yeah. Anyways, finishing up, I think it's very good. I give it a 7.5 out of 10. I'm only giving it like not an 8 just because I found I prefer white wine. 
just personally, like this is a little bit too, it's not as neutral as I would prefer, Mm -hmm. but that's very personal. I think anybody who likes red wine would love this. And also that might explain why I like Gamay because it's kind of more, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, Gamay is medium body to light body. This is definitely medium to full body. So if you think about like, this is just going to be a little bit heavier for you. Mm -hmm. But it is very good. Yeah. When we talked in our group chat, I recommended we kind of let it aerate a little bit earlier because in my experience, and this might be just oversimplification, but a decent quality, I mean, what was this, about $25, if I recall, you know, decent quality red wine that from Italy that's young in general, I find that you, you the way they make it too, it's supposed to kind of age and last for a while. You want to kind of let it, if you're going to drink it young, you want to kind of let it open up. And these are, it's made for pairing with food. So we were joking about before we hopped on, I grilled two, you know, two steaks I had because I want to kind of pair it with it. And so, and it's a great, they're, they're great together. It's, it's made for food. I think just having that kind of salt and a little bit of fat from the meat really helps kind of bring out, you know, the balanced ta- tannins. And I don't know, I, I, I think it's a terrific wine, but I would recommend it specifically with a rich food. I never feel confident in my decanting style. For this wine, I decided to pour the whole bottle in a decanter, give it two swirls, and then pour the decanter back into the bottle. And I like to call that a splash decant. I'm not entirely sure what the tactical term is, but I've never found a full system that I actually like for decanting uh, wines that I think are young. And I run into the same problem with cabs for sure. I'm just never quite sure what the decanting method is. And like, I know there's no real answer to it. So I'm just kind of curious, Aaron, how, like when you talk about decanting this wine or adding some air to it, what did you do? What I did was I opened it up and then I poured just a glass in, in a large glass and swirled it around, just let it sit for, you know, probably a half hour. It's pretty well opened up. It could definitely take a little bit more time but i feel like it's, it's ready to drink but um I, have you guys heard about the hyper decanting where like there'll be videos people put it in like blenders yeah i first heard about it on succession i had no idea what it was before i heard about it on succession and then i heard about it's like there's no way it's the thing and then i found out it was a thing and i was like wow this is this is some other one percent stuff it makes should sense. i go put this in my blender you know good well, I mean, you could if it's clean. So the thing, the thing I wouldn't recommend, I would not recommend it simply because, you know, are we sure there's no, you know, blueberries or chia seeds still in your blender from, you know, your fruit smoothies. But when I was in the Lemon Valley last summer, uh, Saul, our winemaker friend from Championship Bottle, he told me about a cool little method. He's like, as a winemaker, I fully endorse this. What you do is you want to kind of hyper decant or, you know, kind of uh, expedite your decanting for a younger wine. For example, what you do is you open up the bottle. You pour a little bit into uh, a glass just to kind of have the oxygen exchange. Uh, so that way you get oxygen back into the bottle. And then you put the cork back on and you start and then you shake it up. And he's like, this seems crazy, but it's it's the same idea as kind of hyper decanting. It's like a more of a um, low tech version of putting it in a blender. So maybe something to try for your next. It might seem crazy, too, if you have like a nice Bordeaux or some sort of a really full bodied, you know, wine. You know, it's worth a shot. But there's no wrong way, JR. It's like, however you enjoy the wine. What what I really like about these kind of, you know, let's say more complex, more thoughtfully uh, produced wines is that over the next couple of days, if it even lasts that long, it really changes. So sometimes a wine that's just okay, like pretty decent on the first day, you open it, you just have a second glass the second day. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is a completely different bottle of wine. I love this. So it's just, it's just kind of to each their own. Danny, did you try to camp this? I poured this in a glass and (laughs) then I drank it. Oh, okay. 
Nice. Perfect. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. it's, been, it's been sitting here while we've <clears throat> podcasted. So I, I, I have noticed, which I really thought was interesting and enjoyed was I noticed how it changed throughout our episode while it was sitting here and aerating, mm. I guess. I don't know the term. And that's very interesting. It is definitely opened up and it's delicious, but yeah. Yeah, I think I it'll, like like Aaron said, I think it'll be better even tomorrow. And mm-hmm. I'm excited to try it again later tonight, but it's definitely a wine that I'm definitely going to revisit tomorrow because I think it'll last that long. But I think that wraps us up for episode three of Wine Goblins. Danny, do you want to sign us off? Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Like, subscribe, follow us on Instagram. Thank you. May all of your wildest wine dreams come true. <laughs> okay. Okay.